You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Christy and I did have a a good time in Corpus uh, for the state convention. Um, She spent one day in the hotel room uh, not feeling well, but apart from that, we did have a good time. Got to reconnect with some old friends and um, meet some new friends. And I can tell you that uh, things uh, are going well through our Southern Baptist of Texas family. Uh, Churches are being planted. We heard some great testimonies of things that God is doing through a disaster relief. Uh, I, I just think of one example uh, during the school shooting in Uvalde uh, not long ago. Uh, some of the first people on the scene uh, were disaster relief units uh, from our Southern Baptist of Texas family. And uh, one of those chaplains shared a testimony at the convention about how uh, God used him and that time in Uvalde to see people come to faith in Christ. And so uh, things are being done uh, across the state. And that's because of your Uh, faithful giving. I also want to mention just real quickly something significant happened while I was away. Um, We had a members meeting. Uh, Some of you were there. Uh, We have a quarterly members meeting here at First Baptist uh, Van Alstine and in our November uh, quarterly members meeting we approve uh, an annual budget for the the next year. Uh, And this year uh, we uh, even if you were not present, uh, this is how church, church life works, okay? We are elder-led congregationalism, okay? We approved and affirmed an $899,626.78 budget, okay? Uh, that's, that's uncharted territory for First Baptist Van Alstine, I can assure you, as you can well imagine, um, costs are rising and all those things. But really... Uh, more important than that, even, is uh, the new families uh, that are a part of our church family. Um, nearly 30 families over the last year have become a part of the First Baptist family. Uh, and so praise the Lord for that. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those new families have kids. And um, they like to eat goldfish and stuff like that. And so uh, there you go. Just blows your budget all to pieces. Um, no. No. <laughs> Uh, It is a blessing, uh, but uh, certainly uh, a a sizable budget, uh, not one that we've, uh, I guess, ever had here in the history of the church. I will also tell you that uh, this budget includes something that our budget has not included in a very, very, very long time, long before I was ever on the scene uh, eight and a half or nine years ago, and that is some debt service. Uh, Most of you are aware that we are in the process of building a building right now, and Unfortunately, that costs money, and so uh, this budget does include uh, some debt service. And so that translates to this. Uh, To meet that budget, uh, which I will tell you, uh, as of right now for 2022, our giving has exceeded our budgetary needs by nearly $40,000, $50,000, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, We we need to give, to meet our 2023 budget, uh, just a little over $17,000 a week. And so... Try to wrap your mind around that, uh, and what that tells you uh, is that your giving is important. You may think, well, I can't give uh, like I'm sure some other people can give, and what I give is so little. Everybody's giving is important, and uh, I would just tell you it's important that you uh, be faithful, that you be consistent, that you be generous as God allows you uh, 
uh, in your giving. We don't say a lot about giving uh, week in and week out, but it is so important. And I'll tell you that um, while a large portion of that budget naturally uh, meets the needs of the operations, ongoing expenses and things of that nature here, uh, nearly 10% of that leaves here. Uh, and goes to the foreign field or goes to uh, throughout the state of Texas and through the North American Mission Board and all those things to uh, missions themselves. And so when you uh, give, you are giving uh, to do so much more than just keep the lights on here and uh, pay the staff. Uh, it's really important that you're faithful in your giving. Well, First Timothy chapter 2. For the past two Sundays, Jace has done uh, an excellent job of unpacking Jesus' teaching on the subject of prayer. And I just want to say uh, very quickly how thankful I am for ministry partners who make it easy for uh, me to be away. Certainly, I'm not the only one who is called and equipped to, uh, to teach God's Word, uh, but it's, it's nice. Uh, makes it easy for me to be away because I'm not worried about the integrity of uh, the pulpit. I can be certain that when any one of our elders or pastors is preaching, uh, that God will be glorified, that his word will be faithfully proclaimed, and that you will be edified and challenged in your walk with the Lord. And you need to know that uh, it is very rare, if I am away, uh, that uh, I'm not joining in on the service, especially with live stream now. So while we were driving to Corpus Christi a couple of weeks ago, we were singing with you, and uh, we listened to the message and, and everything. And so um, I'm thankful for that opportunity. But for these past two weeks, Jace helped us understand Jesus' teaching on the posture of prayer and the practice of prayer. Now, before we launch a new series next week through the Gospel of John, Lord willing, we're going to spend much of 2023 in the Gospel of John together. Uh, I want to preach what we sometimes call a one-off message. Uh, now, we're, uh, we're committed to expository preaching here. Now, I just want to clarify something for you. Some people think that expository preaching... Uh, is only done when you're walking verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Uh, that's not necessarily true. Uh, the, the word exposition or expository uh, comes from the word expose. And so what we want to do week in and week out is expose the text. We want to preach the Word of God, okay? Not, you know, Mike's 10 tips on how to have a good marriage or, you know, whatever. Uh, we want to expose the Word of God. So that's what we're going to do today, even though this is kind of a one-off message. I think you'll see that it connects to what Jesus preached uh, over the past couple of weeks. In fact, I want to continue uh, the alliteration a little bit. If we've looked at the posture and the practice of prayer this morning, I want us to consider the priority of prayer, and especially in the context of the local church, and specifically for us here at First Baptist Van Alstine. So let's once again look together at the first seven verses of First Timothy chapter 2. I want us to, to marinate for a few moments in these few verses of Scripture. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, who is the, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. 1 Timothy is a letter 
uh, written from the Apostle Paul to uh, an individual that he describes as his true son in the faith, a man named Timothy. And so you have two letters here in our English Bibles, 1st and 2nd Timothy. Uh, They are followed by a a letter to a guy named Titus who was uh, ministering in Crete. Uh, And uh, these make up what we often refer to as pastoral epistles. Uh, Paul is writing to these two young pastors, and he is giving them uh, the framework, some clear instruction for how to do pastoral ministry. In fact, if you're in seminary and you're studying pastoral theology, you will certainly spend some time uh, in these three letters, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, for sure. Uh, And so uh, while it is a difficult task, and understand that Paul had stationed Timothy uh, in Ephesus to do the difficult work of combating false teaching. Uh, Many of the epistles of the New Testament are addressing false teaching, much like the book of Galatians that we just made our way through. What was the thing there? These Judaizers were coming and saying, well, salvation comes through Jesus plus the law, plus circumcision, plus a a careful observance of the law, and so forth. Uh, And so Timothy, in much the same way, was charged with uh, combating false teaching. In fact, if you look back at chapter 1, Uh, In verse number 3, he writes there, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge uh, certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Uh, And so he's he's combating this false teaching. Uh, Timothy was to lead the church to be faithful uh, in a number of different areas uh, that include godly living. And so leading God's people is not an easy task. Uh, at the state convention, uh, the first night, uh, we had uh, probably a 35 or 40 minute prayer time. 1,200 people gathered there in the Selena Auditorium in Corpus Christi. And as a part of that guided prayer session, uh, the leader, uh, Todd Connitz, uh, who's the president of the convention, he uh, just asked any pastors in the room, any church leaders who were especially discouraged or defeated or had been considering uh, leaving the ministry or quitting or throwing in the towel or whatever, if they would just stand. And then he encouraged others of us to gather around them. It was amazing to look across that room and to see clusters of people gathered around these individuals who came to that convention just beat down, discouraged. It's been a difficult season uh, for all of us, and especially uh, leading a church through uh, 2020 and all that uh, these last uh, couple of years have meant. And so uh, Timothy was understanding this a bit. Uh, this, is, this is not an easy task, but it's a glorious task. And it's worth giving your life to. Uh, I was thinking about Lottie Moon this morning. Some of you are going, Lottie, who is Lottie Moon? Lottie Moon was a little lady who, in the late 1800s, I went to serve the people of China as a missionary. She was four feet three inches tall. She's shorter than a lot of your kids, all right? Four feet three inches tall, served for 40 years, gave most of her life to spreading the good news of the gospel to the people of China. And she was instrumental in starting what we know today as the cooperative program. And so this offering is named in her honor. But you talk about faithfulness and just serving selflessly for so many years uh, of her life. Well, there are many challenges facing Timothy 
and the church at Ephesus that went beyond their immediate cultural context, as difficult as that context must have been. I want you to consider some of the issues that Paul addresses within the church. If you continue to read this, this letter of 1 Timothy here, you'll see that he addresses men and women and how they needed to be instructed about their God-given roles within the context of the church and, and their conduct in church gatherings. He talks about how faithful elders, pastors, deacons needed to be identified and Appointed, how widows needed to be cared for properly. Uh, the pursuit of wealth uh, seemed to be a real temptation for some in the congregation here at Ephesus. And, and I consider all that he's writing here and all that he's addressing and, and, and all that he seems to, to emphasize in this letter. And I think that, that doesn't look a whole lot different than some of the issues we're facing in the church today. In fact, you could kind of copy and paste some of those things into a list of challenges that we're facing in the church today. So in many ways, the letters, the epistles of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus serve as church leadership manuals. This is what the church should look like. This is how the church should function. This is, this is how, to, how to do church, we might say. Now while we're going to drop into chapter 2 this morning, we don't typically do this, but I want you to know the context here. If we're taking a, a snapshot of chapter 2 verses 1 through 7, you need to know that chapter 1 is photobombing the picture. Okay? In the background of our snapshot today is an emphasis on the word of God and the explicit gospel of Jesus Christ. So in chapter 1 of this letter to Timothy, the Apostle Paul spares no ink in making it clear that the gospel must be guarded, that the gospel must be celebrated, that we must contend, even fight for the gospel, stand firm on the gospel. And so with that, I want you to even listen to Paul's testimony from chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, he says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. As we are looking forward to Christmas and all that it brings and all that it means, that, that's it right there. That, that is Christmas. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, he writes. Verse 16, he says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So you find in those five verses the Apostle Paul's testimony and how clear it was that the gospel must be the foundation of everything that we do. That's why as our identifiers we say we, we strive to be a church that is biblically based, Christ-centered, and gospel-driven. Biblically based, Christ-centered, and gospel-driven. So Paul forms this foundation, a gospel foundation in chapter 1 of this letter. He commands Timothy and the church at Ephesus to guard the gospel, celebrate the gospel, fight for the gospel. And now, based on that gospel foundation, 
Paul begins to give some practical exhortations to the church in chapter 2. And he starts by talking about public worship, corporate worship. The opening words here, first of all, signal the paramount importance and the priority of his initial exhortation. Typically when we're saying something, we say, well, first of all, that, that tells us that there's more to come, right? But first of all, of first importance, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing here. He is saying there is more to come, but of first importance. How is it that you guard the gospel and celebrate the gospel and fight for the gospel? You start, Paul says, by praying. Now, over the course of my ministry, I've been inundated inundated literally with all kinds of of information and programs and plans and I, I get stuff constantly telling me that if I will just do this this and this our church will explode by 50 percent and and all these different some gimmicks and and some good plans perhaps but all these different methodologies and different things that churches can do and church leaders are always looking for that silver bullet if we just do this then things will turn around and things will be different and, and there's nothing wrong with planning in fact I think it's important that we plan and strategize and our our staff our elders we meet together regularly to do just that but Paul says before all of that, before we set all these other things in order, before I address any of these other issues, first of all, of first importance, I want to urge you, I strongly urge you that you pray, that, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. So I want you to notice the priority of prayer in the mission. The priority of prayer and the mission. I think sometimes we, we view prayer much like we do a, a tool in our toolbox. Over the last few days, because of the rain and all that, I've had some time to, to, to spend in my garage uh, reorganizing some things. And uh, I, I was looking at a couple of my toolboxes, and I'm like, I forgot I had this. I, I, I've only used this like three times. One, you know, I only use it because I may need it. I think that's sometimes how we view prayer. It's just one of the tools in the toolbox. When in reality, it's supposed to be at the top of the list. It's supposed to be a priority for us, not just as individuals, but as a church. We're to pray, is what Paul says here. Now, for whom are we to pray? He says we're to pray for every kind of person. The point is not that every Christian here is commanded to pray for every individual person in the world. Jace mentioned earlier, we are all uh, limited human beings. I'm doing good to remember the names of the people sitting in the room this morning, okay? Uh, and, 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 and so to, to suggest that we would pray for every single individual in the world uh, is not what Paul is saying here. No, Paul is talking about all kinds of people. Now, you may have heard this saying, all means all, and that's all all means. You ever heard that? Like, I remember as a kid when, when my mom or dad told me to go clean my room. I was like, well, you know, well, I have to, do I have to clean all of it? Yeah, all of it. Like, in that case, all means all, and that's all all means. Okay? Not some of it, not most of it, all of it. And I'm so thankful that there are times that that's, that's in fact, what all means. Even biblically. If we, if we take a, a, a quick hermeneutics lesson here on biblical interpretation, sometimes in Scripture... All does, in fact, mean all without exception. 
So like if I said all the people in the room today, that would mean every single one of you. But sometimes in Scripture, the word all doesn't mean all without exception. Sometimes it means all without distinction. So if we were to say that someday when we're glorified and we're all gathered around the throne, we say all peoples will be there. We, we don't mean all people without exception. We mean all kinds of people. Scripture makes it clear. They will come from the four corners of the earth. They will be from everywhere. There will be all kinds of people there. A lot of those people will look very different from us. All kinds of people. That's what Paul is saying. As a church made up of both Jews and Gentiles here, Paul was telling them to pray for one another. As a church where false teachers were limiting salvation to a small group of religious elites, Paul encouraged them not to limit their prayers. Prayer is not an elitist, nationalistic, racist, or selective practice. Instead, Paul says there is no category of person that you should not pray for. May there be diversity in our praying especially in this season of praying and giving through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering to the International Mission Board. Let's be faithful to pray for the nations. And so I would just implore you today, I would urge you, as Paul writes to Timothy and to the church at Ephesus here, I would urge you to, to refuse during this season to simply tag on to one of your prayers, oh yeah, and God bless all the missionaries. But please don't do that. Please take some time to actually pick up a prayer guide or to look at the, the IMB website, imb.org. Very simple. Tons of resources there that will tell you about the various unreached people groups around the world. And I would encourage you in this season to maybe identify one or two of those unreached people groups and pray specifically for them. And pray for those who are penetrating the darkness in that part of the world. We have missions partners who are serving in some really difficult places, y'all. And I think sometimes we think of Christian martyrdom as something that just happened in the, in the first century church, in the early church. No, there are still people today who are being martyred for the faith, who are giving their very lives for the sake of the gospel. If you've ever watched one of the IMB uh, commissioning services, they, they typically will bring these couples and families up and they'll introduce themselves. And, and a lot of times you will just see a silhouette of them. They'll be behind some kind of a screen because their faces can't be shown. They have to use pseudonyms because they're going to such dangerous places. So think about that for a moment, in this season especially, and pray for all kinds of people. Now what does that look like closer to home? Well, That may mean that you need to pray for, for, for someone who maybe you didn't elect. We're about to get to that here in a moment. It may mean that you're praying for somebody with whom you vehemently disagree on a lot of issues. It may mean that you're praying for someone who speaks a different language than you, looks different than you. Pray for all kinds of people is what Paul is saying here. And then he says, more specifically, we're to pray for leaders in high positions. Now, this exhortation is fascinating when you remember 
In its historical context, Paul was writing under the reign of Nero, who was a Roman emperor who violently persecuted Christians in the first century. So when he writes here, so that we may live peaceable lives, quiet lives, godly, dignified in every way, that means something different than what we typically think of. We think we're being persecuted if someone says happy holidays to us instead of Merry Christmas. Few of us know what real persecution is. For, for, our, for our entire lives, I would, I would suggest every person in this room, unless you uh, have another country of origin, you know nothing of real persecution for your faith. And I realize you can watch the news today and you can think some of these freedoms are being stripped away and all those kinds of things. Trust me, we know nothing of what the early church knew. In their day, there was never a time that they operated under a gospel-friendly government. They didn't know what that was. Persecution was a regular thing. The Apostle Paul's ministry was marked, characterized by a lot of persecution. Shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead. I'm talking serious persecution. And here he says, even in that historical context, he says, pray for these leaders in high positions. You've got to realize at that time there would have been few, if any, Christians uh, ruling in the world. And yet Paul was telling them to pray for these pagan leaders. Pray for the king under whom you suffer. Pray for the leader with whom you disagree. Pray for the ruler that you don't approve of. This is God's will. Think about this. We are surrounded by people from Van Alstine, Texas to the ends of the earth who are lost and on their way to everlasting separation from God. But, but, but we want them to know eternal satisfaction in Jesus Christ. To know what it is to have their debt paid, as we sang just a moment ago. We are on a life-saving mission. And the Bible is literally, scriptures, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is writing here, you are urged to pray. To pray. Do you, do you pray for the lost? Do you pray for your lost friends, relatives, neighbors, co-workers? Do you pray for them? For them to come to a clear understanding of the gospel, to turn from their sin to faith in Jesus Christ? Richard Baxter, an old English pre- uh, pastor, he put it this way. He said, let your heart yearn for your ungodly neighbors. Alas, there is but a step between them and death and hell. Many hundred diseases are waiting, ready to seize on them. And if they die unregenerate, they will be lost forever. Have you hearts of rock that cannot pity men in such a case as this? Do you not care who is damned as long as you are saved? If so, you are sufficient cause to pity yourselves. For it is a frame of spirit utterly inconsistent with grace. Do you live close by them? Or do you meet them in the streets or work with them or travel with them or sit and talk with them and say nothing to them of their souls? If their houses were on fire, you would run and help them. Will you not help them when their souls are almost at the fire of hell? Richard Baxter wrote those words as only an old English pastor could. I want you to notice secondly this morning the theology of prayer in the mission. J.I. Packer said that these words contain the key, not merely to the New Testament, but to the whole Bible. For they crystallize into a phrase the sum and the substance of its message. 
So the, so the motivation behind our praying for the world is God's passion for the world. Paul gives us at least three different aspects of this theological motivation. Okay, he's not suggesting this is just a, a good idea. Now, there's a theological framework for this, and I want you to notice this. God desires the salvation of all people. Now, when you begin to pray for all kinds of people in the world to be saved, Jews, Gentiles, friends, enemies, Democrats, Republicans, reached, unreached people groups, your heart is coming in line with the will of God himself, for he desires their salvation. And Jace very clearly explained to us, that is, that is largely what prayer is. It's aligning our will with his. Some people try to use this passage to argue for what is known as universalism. That is the belief that all people will ultimately be saved. Everybody's going to heaven. And the reasoning runs like this. Because God desires all people to be saved, and God always gets what he desires, then all people will be saved. That's definitely not what this passage or scripture as a whole teaches. Scripture is clear that we are only saved by grace through faith in Christ. And only those who trust in his salvation will experience eternal life with him. Because God desires the salvation of all people, we should pray for the salvation of all people. And I know right here is where a lot of people want to insert some kind of a conversation about Calvinism and Arminianism and the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and all those things. The last time I checked, regardless of what you may believe about election and predestination and all those things, I don't know who the elect are. So it's my responsibility as God prompts me, gives me opportunity to share the gospel with anybody and everybody who will hear it. God does the drawing. God does the saving. It's not my business to save. So God desires that they come to know him. When you pray for lost family members and friends and neighbors and enemies and people groups who are hostile to the gospel, pray knowing that God loves them and desires their salvation. And then know this. This is a theological framework for praying for the nations. God deserves the honor of of all people. Now, Paul begins verse number five here by saying, For there is one God. That seems like such a simple statement, but it's full of significance. There's not one God for one group of people, and then another God for a different group of people, so that all kinds of people can worship all kinds of gods. No, one God, the one true God, deserves the praise of all people. Listen to what Isaiah 45, verses 21 and 22 says. For there is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. So if God deserves the honor of all people, then worship is the fuel of world praying. We gather with other believers here each week to declare there is one God. Our God is greater, we sing sometimes. Our God is stronger, higher than any other. We believe that. We pray like that. This is the heart of the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Hallowed be your name and your name alone. Worship is the goal of world praying. We are praying night and day, week after week, for all kinds of people in the world to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that they might bow down and worship him. 
That's what we're after in our praying, worldwide worship of the one true God. We look forward to the day when all kinds of people will worship God's name together. You see the theological motivation here? We long for God to get the glory that he is due. Then I want you to see here finally that Christ died for the rescue of all people. We read in verse number 5. That there is not only one God, but also one mediator between God and humanity. God and men, the man Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This word ransom, such a, a theologically significant word, literally refers to the price that would be paid for the rescue or release of a prisoner. That is the gospel in a nutshell, that God, the one who is completely holy in all his ways, completely just in all of his judgments, stands over against us as sinful human beings, completely deserving of his wrath and of all of his judgments. Therefore, we desperately need a mediator to pay our ransom and enter Jesus. Enter Jesus. The perfect mediator, because he is uniquely able to identify with both parties, you might say. No one else qualified to represent both God and mankind. He is fully able to identify with God because he is divine, fully God. Yet at the same time, fully able to identify with us in our humanity since he is himself human. Jesus was and is fully human like us in every way, Scripture says, yet without sin. So he's uniquely qualified to stand in the middle in order to bring together holy God and sinful human beings. That's why he came into the world. He tabernacled among us is literally what Scripture says. One author says he moved into the neighborhood came in the form of a human being. And God's word leaves no doubt as to the outcome of our mission. Because of God's purposes and the work of Christ on our behalf, then we pray with confidence, we preach with boldness. We proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And hopefully you can see how this all connects. That we strive in every way to be a church family that is biblically based. That's our foundation. It is what we appeal to in all matters of faith and practice. Firmly standing on the word of God. And because we believe Jesus Christ to be the central figure of all scripture. From Genesis to Revelation is all about God's redemptive plan to reconcile sinful humanity with the holy God. We believe that then we are to be Christ-centered. And as a result, gospel-driven. We had the greatest news ever known to man. And yet many times we're reluctant to share it. We're reluctant to share it with others. If you follow the progression of Paul's writing here in 1 Timothy, you'll see that you take the gospel as applied to a sinful human heart and the forgiveness that is found only in Jesus Christ with prayer. That, that leads to the sanctification of believers which leads to gospel authentication, which leads to the salvation of the, of the lost. We all get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. 
very limited, very sinful human beings like myself, very imperfect in so many ways, God allows us to be a part of his redemptive plan. That's why he gave us the great commission to go into the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we could for just a moment bow our heads together. I don't know what God may be saying to you today through his word and by the Holy Spirit. You may be here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not even certain that I'm in a right relationship with God myself. I'm trying to be a better person. I've tried to turn over a new leaf. I'm trying to improve in so many areas. Oh, that's great. But I've got to tell you, God's word is crystal clear that we're not saved by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. We find that in Titus chapter 3. So if you're here today and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to take that step of faith today. I'm not asking you today if you're a religious person. I'm not asking you if you're into church. I'm not even asking you if you know about Jesus or you've read the Bible some. I'm asking, can you point to a time in your life when you turn from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ? If you have questions about that, want to talk to someone about that, we have a number of leaders here. I would love to meet with you, share with you from the Word of God how you can know that you're in a right relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. There may be others who would say, Pastor, I, that, that is my testimony. I have, I have placed my faith and trust in Christ. I know Him as Savior and Lord. But if I'm completely honest, I've not been faithful to pray, to pray for the nations, to pray for those that, that I don't like sometimes, people with whom I disagree. I've not been faithful to pray for my lost family members and friends and neighbors. I hope today that God is stirring your heart to do that to make it a priority as individuals and for us as a church family. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you have given us clear instruction, direction for your church through your word. I pray, God, that we would, as individuals and as a church family, prioritize prayer. we strive in every way to find our will aligned to your will. Lord, I pray that those things that break your heart would break our heart. Those things that bring you great joy and delight would also bring us great joy and delight. As you give us opportunities to share the gospel, help us Lord, to be faithful to seize those opportunities to launch a gospel conversation and allow you to take it where you will. And Lord, we do thank you for our missions partners, not just here locally, not just through the great state of Texas, but around the world. 
give you the praise and the honor and the glory now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.